and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop role-playing games, and tabletop war games. And today we're talking about kobolds. My name is Troy, I'm the host, my pronouns are he, him, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. And my name's Ed, my pronouns are they and them. Uh, my wife says that I sound like Barry White on these recordings, but I don't hear it. Um, I don't know what Barry White even sounds like. So, uh, yeah. Listeners, you weigh in. Yes, listeners, weigh in. Contact us on Instagram, Twitter, or some other method. I also accept carrier pigeons. Carrier pigeons, uh, sending a kobold with a message for us. Um, also acceptable. Or, uh, via Spelljammer. Spaceship. Uh, because our first segment, before we really get into kobolds and why I consider them to be one of my favorite all-time fantasy races, we have a segment called The Weekend Hobby, where we talk about what we've done the last weekend hobby. Uh, I'll go first. Mine is kind of shorter than normal. I only had one of my two Eberron games uh, in it. The party advanced into the big dungeon. The in large order land. to reach their uh, final objective they are entering into the citadel facility that the lords of dust the evil cult demon summoning and uh, bad guys have taken over and are repurposing and um it's a huge map i found a map that's like 108 by 120 squares wide and uh has it's just full of rooms uh, that is a big chungus of a map. It's a big map, and it's got a lot of rooms and a lot of crazy shenanigans. And they're going to have to wander around in it and find three magical tokens that will allow them to enter into the lower level where the actual boss fight is. Alternatively, instead of finding these tokens to unlock this thing, there is a room full of magical blasting powder uh, that has kind of become unstable over the last few years as it's been left there. Um, that if they can locate it and just drag all of that without setting it off to the room where the door is, they can blow the door. So is it basically ammonium nitrate? Uh, it's more like nitroglycerin. Ah. Or, or dynamite, where it crystallizes over time and becomes unstable. Yeah, just don't uh, mess with that. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, the idea that I'm putting into my game concept is that it happens faster when exposed to magic which means it's not useful in battles because anytime someone casts a spell it becomes more likely to just blow up in your hand um meaning that no one takes it into combat because you you, you might just blow yourself up and so it's only really used in mining and even then it wasn't very popular because you know stuff like casting a um and like a what's the basic like stone moving cantrip uh, uh mage hand mold earth mold earth is just better because it allows you to move a five foot cube of dirt um and is a cantrip so you can just constantly cast it so uh yeah there's um a reason why it's not used commonly and that they can use it to just blow open that door 
or to, I guess, suicide bomb with one of their characters if they really feel like it. <laughs> one player who's on their way out be like, yep, Well, this, this is the end for me. This is kind of the end for the whole group, because this is the going to lead to the final boss fight. <laughs> and I'm hinting at this to them. So. Just um, let it all hang out. Nothing to lose. And the other thing was a Spelljammer game that we were both in. Jam them spells. Um, I think you get to talk about that, though, Ed. Oh, boy. How was your weekend hobby? Uh, still not much of a weekend hobby. Uh, really, the only, like, actual hobby-ish thing I did was the Spelljammer campaign. Uh, if you want to get loose with your definitions of hobby, uh, worked on a couple of small Lego projects that's what my wife is currently into right now uh and yeah that's about it but for Spelljammer, uh we successfully made it off the planet with the weird crystal growth things that were infesting the planet uh i have a feeling that that planet is gonna be royally boned um i also get the insinuation that our Spelljammer campaign is going to be less Star Trek and more Futurama. <laughs> I mean, what gave you that idea? No matter how, how like, straight-faced or, like, sticking to an actual character I try to do, I always just end up end up being weird. So I feel like my character's going to be end up, by the end of the campaign, kind of a combination of Zap Brannigan and Fry. I have, a, I have a, a robot companion, so it works even better. I'm not Bender, though. <laughs> but you could bend things if asked, right? My strength is eight, so no. Really? Yeah, no, I dumped strength. Huh. I'm a druid, buddy. Hey, man, druids live in the woods. They need all that strength to help them survive. I'm a Circle of Stars druid. I lived in an astronomy tower and looked at the stars, and apparently over time that gives you star powers. Nerd. That's literally what my background was. Like Warforged nerd. Uh, no, I was... <laughs> my Warforged was built by a group of wizards as, like, an... A, a, uh, like, data collection for astronomy, and just, like, left in a tower for... A long period of time he does not know how long just just hang out here it'll be fine and the and he doesn't remember like anything about the wizards that built him because it was so long ago um because you know warforged don't age and are immune to old age and anything so it could be thousands of years even um yeah Although and whenever you over... whenever you describe looking at things, I do still imagine the Bender Extendo eyes thing. Considering <laughs> you're you're a telescope robot, that, that's fair. Um, yes, but I'm no. not looking. Thousands of years of staring at the stars <laughs> gave him star powers, and so now he's a circle of stars druid. That that's his entire setup. Um, but you did forget the most important NPC. Oh, yes. Uh, we adopted slash stole uh, slash sought the protection of Skyrim, our horse, who is now the head of security on our spell jammer. <laughs> we, we got into a fight 
um, with some random monsters where we were trying to protect a noble and his, like, companions who were on horses. And one of the horses attacked the enemies and three turns in a row, in a row, got critical hits and, in fact, killed one of the enemies faster than we could. Yeah. So loaded. It was a weird day on roll 20. We were rolling just absolute bollocks and this horse just soloed the thing that we were trying to kill. <laughs> yes. So we determined that this horse is in fact the chosen one and uh, is now ours. He's our lord and savior. Yeah, the, tro- the horse belongs to us now and when I hit ninth level and get the awaken spell, I will awaken this horse and we will give it character levels. <laughs> I am 100% making this happen. I'm so disappointed in myself that I nearly forgot about the horse. About Skyrim the horse? Yep. Yeah. That, uh, he's, uh, Skyrim's is going to be an important sub-character. <laughs> Alright, DM. Ball's in your court now. Oh, yeah. You gotta feed him some space oats and maybe a uh, cosmic sugar cube. Cosmic sugar cubes. And so that's been the weekend hobby. So, Kabolds. What are kobolds? Where are kobolds? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with that. They're uh, little good dog boys. Uh, to some extent, yes. Kobolds are personally one of my favorite Dungeons and Dragons monsters. I tend to use them less as like straight out adversaries and more as interesting non-human NPCs to sort of flesh out the world. Um, mostly because I think they're too fun to just be villains uh, i don't think in our in any of our campaigns that you've run i don't think we've come across hostile kobolds they're usually neutral and or like you said npcs yep that is that's how i like i like kobolds too much to have them get murdered by the party <laughs> um, no my kobolds especially because i find goblins to be better for the getting murdered by the party kind of thing uh the kobolds are too fun the goblins are can be more like just straight up evil and get stabbed uh i have had unionizing minor kobolds i have had uh kobolds that dug out the sewer system of the city and were sort of living beneath it still um i'm so disappointed that we never got to follow through with that union that unionizing miners plot line yeah murked by by a bunch of goblins with magic sticks i've got a whole concept of french revolutionary kobolds um, that i have not fully used I referenced it in the backstory. We'll talk about that later. Um, Kobolds in Dungeons and Dragons and other similar modern Western fantasy games tend to be small, draconic, or lizard people. And the Kobolds in Japanese games and fantasy works tend to be more small dog people. But in mythology and folklore, Kobolds were not at all like this. Kobolds have their origin in Germanic mythology, where they were mystical, mythical sprites... Uh, based somewhat off of the, like, house spirit concept. Uh, they were usually invisible, could appear in the form of an animal, a fire, a candle, or a small humanoid figure. Artistic depictions generally showed them as being human-ish, uh, size of small, ugly children kind of thing. Uh, some lived, like I said, in houses with humans as house spirits. Others lived in mines. Um, usually the ones in mines were kind of like stooped and ugly. And some lived on boats, worked with sailors. Bring back candle kobolds. Make kobolds candles again. That's a World of Warcraft thing. 
Uh, well, oh. Th- that's why there's... Oh, yeah, they have they have the candle on their head. I forgot about that. Yes. Uh, kobolds in this folklore were essentially filling the same role as other small spirit folk from the, like, European mythology of the era, such as hobgoblins, pixies, goblins, dwarves, and the Scandinavian Nice. Uh, kobolds were kind of a pagan belief, the, like, household deities... Uh, that survived the introduction of Christianity by turning into minor superstition and folklore. Now they're just like little spirits that live in your house and da-da-da-da. Or house spirits and mind spirits. In Dungeons & Dragons, kobolds first showed up in the 1971 Chainmail Fantasy Supplement. So they actually were in Dungeons & Dragons before it was a role-playing game. Uh, In Chainmail, they were described as, quote, being similar to goblins. Like, that was the entirety of their description. I, They were just an alternative, oh, you, you, your figures don't look like goblins? Call them kobolds. Uh, they showed up again in the 1977 Monster Manual, uh, where they actually had art and were depicted as hairless humanoids with small horns, uh, just living in dark forests and subterranean locations. The artwork for them is kind of dog-faced with horns, and that is important when we get to this sort of split between East-West kobolds. Uh, second edition kobolds looked more like lizard people. Uh, they had, like, visible lizard tails and, like, no ears and, you know, they looked more like lizard fo- people. In third edition Dungeons & Dragons, kobolds became fully linked to dragons. Um, this is... If, if you're familiar with what the modern kobolds look like, this is where that comes from. They are tiny little dragon people. Um, they claim to be distantly related to dragons, and they serve, a lot of times they serve and worship their larger distantly dragon cousins. Um, to the extent that there are urds, which are winged kobolds that, again, have dragon wings, and a lot of times when kobolds have magical abilities, it's linked to a dragon, a draconic sorcerers or uh, other sort of arcane magic stuff like that in fifth edition kobolds are basically the same as they were in third uh, a little more detailed uh volo's guide to monsters has a whole section on kobolds which is great and provides a lot of good detail um and ideas for how to use kobolds that's um, another book i gotta get around to reading i've kind of i've kind of read through everything at the moment that uh I have that's worth reading. I should do The Guide to Monsters, because I love monsters. Volo's Guide to Monsters is one of the best 5e splat books for a dungeon master. It's not as great for a player, because it doesn't have a lot of new player options, aside from some race options. But for a dungeon master, it's great, because it goes into really solid detail on specific groups of monsters. Kobolds, orcs, giants, mind flayers... And, uh, you know, to the extent of having maps and having, um, like, charts and tables talking about how to run kobolds, how to, you know, have them as NPCs and what sort of places and things that they would do. Kobolds in this have a creation mythology where they were created by, um, or sort of, sometimes they were created, sometimes they were just sort of taught by their deity. Uh, Krultomak. Krultomak was a vassal of uh, Tiamat. 
And when the gnome god, Carl Glittergold, stole a treasure from Tiamat's horde, uh, Girl Tolmac was sent to retrieve it. Uh, Glittergold lured the god into a maze-like cavern and then collapsed all the exits behind him, trapping the god of kobolds in this cavern for eternity. Yeah, maybe don't fuck with dragon gods. That's a bad idea. Well, no, no. The gnome god trapped the kobold god in a yeah, maze but, for eternity. Yeah, but still, the, the whole... The precipitating event was uh, screwing around with a dragon god. This is true. Don't do it. This is true. Um, and this sort of thing, the, the deity doesn't like anyone. He hates everything but kobolds. Uh, for some reason, he adores kobolds. I, I, I get it. I understand. Um, but he, because of this thing where the gnome god trapped him, he especially despises gnomes, and kobolds do too. Kobolds famously do not get along with gnomes. Um, unclear if they would get along with auto gnomes or not. Something to work out in the future, perhaps. Uh, um, we'll have to explore this topic more in uh, our Spelljammer campaign. Perhaps. Uh, the other thing about it is, because he is trapped and unable to escape this, like, celestial maze, he doesn't really have clerics. Uh, his divine magic can't really reach the kobolds in any strong sort of way, and so, instead, they turn to arcane magic. Hence their, um, the spread of kobold sorcerers, rather than kobold clerics or kobold, uh, anything else, really. Uh, and of course, they don't really go in for warlocks that much, because they just, well, because most patrons don't want a kobold serving them. It's too weak. Like, eh, kobolds. Hey, man, give them a chance. Yeah, just give them a chance. Maybe they'll be good at it. Kobolds... Be like Seench, just give them a chance. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, Unless you're Seench, and then you do know what's going to happen. Well, you've got a good idea. Uh, kobolds oftentimes believe that they were created by Tiamat from the blood of dragons. Um, which, you know, could be true. They certainly look similar to dragons, and... Yeah, sometimes they uh, get... Um, draconic powers a lot of times they willingly serve and worship dragons um kobolds really do like dragons and um you know fall no over gods, themselves no to masters. obey the orders of the dragons uh, except for Overthrow those ones unionized <laughs> except for when i unionized them yes now the thing is in your typically this is chromatic dragons that they serve but it doesn't have to be. You could just as easily say they worship whatever dragon. And so maybe your a particular tribe of kobolds is worshiping a silver dragon who gets them to do good things and help people. Um, and kobolds can also, you know, they're really good at tunneling and generally they're fine as long as you leave them alone. So cities will hire kobolds to dig a sewer system. And if the humans and people in the city don't mistreat the kobolds, the kobolds will just kind of move in afterwards and live under the city and keep the sewers maintained. This is where we need solidarity between the dwarves and the kobolds. I, in one of my games where I had this happen, I had the inciting thing being that the uh, city approached both dwarves and kobolds about digging the sewer system, and the kobolds came in much cheaper. 
see, this is why we need solidarity so that you can't, you can't have one group undercut the other and make it worse for everybody. Well, I mean, that's the thing. The kobolds don't make it worse for everybody because they dig pretty nice sewer systems and then live in them and keep them clean. And the dwarves probably wouldn't want to live in the sewers and keep them clean. This is why we need the IWW of Dungeons and Dragons. I think it's the, like, PWW. I don't know. The workers of the planes unite. That works. Yeah, you gotta get to all the planes. Um, kobolds do tend to, you know, they're smaller. They grow faster. They mature quicker. Um, they die younger. Um, well, they mature by six years old. They're considered adults. Uh, many of them die by age 20. Uh, typically that's due to like violence and accidents or disease. They can live up to around 120 years though. Uh, in, in, you know, proper situations, presumably, uh, something they attribute to, you know, being descended from dragons that they can live as long or longer than a human in the right situation. Um, they lay eggs. They, uh, eggs don't require a whole lot of tending. They sort of, um, uh, they, they, just, they just happen. They just happen. And the kobolds kind of like communally raise the young. Um, their small group element isn't the family, but the tribe. So they can, you know, kobolds are loyal to their tribe more so than their family. In fact, the whole family thing is less of a kobold element. Um, they don't really have marriage or permanent family relationships. They have tribal relationships. Uh, communal. Uh, also, um, if, 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 well, kobolds being sort of reptilian, they can change sex. If more, if like all of the males in a tribe are killed, some of the females will change gender. I stand gender fluidity. Yes. We need more of it in our RPGs. Kobolds have the ability to be gender fluid. Although, presumably, given that they're dragons, they don't have many of the characteristic... Um, what, what's the term? Uh, gender dimorphism traits that would be present in a more normal humanoid species. I also have a feeling that dragons have more important things to argue about than gender politics. Oh, yes. Like actual politics. Yep. And treasure. <laughs> treasure being the most important thing. Uh, they do carry grudges. Uh, it's kind of a thing they get from their deity because, you know, he hates gnomes and they hate gnomes and uh, there's other things as well. Um, and, you know, that descendant from dragon things, dragons hold grudges. Um, they don't generally engage in cannibalism or in eating food that talks, is their term. <laughs> what uh, are we, gnolls? But they will if they're really, really hungry. Um, their reasoning for doing it is less actual morals and more fearing retaliation. Quick, eat the evidence. Yeah, well, it's more that they don't want to eat the human adventurers because if they do, more human adventurers will come to kill them. 
They'd much rather just yeah. drive them off and then run away. That's um, true. They are generally not very intelligent, but pretty cunning. And, uh, you know, weak. Because, you know, they're little lizard people. Are they brooding, brooding, uh, cunningly brutal or brutally cunning? Which which do they fall on that side? Uh, cunningly cunning. Because now we're going to talk about Tucker's Kobolds, which is one of the most dangerous iterations of Kobolds. In an article published in a 1987 issue of Dragon Magazine, there was a depiction of using Kobolds that scared many players and provided much enjoyment to many dungeon masters that essentially made the kobolds out to be a guerrilla force using traps and advanced hit-and-run tactics to terrorize the players that would dare to invade their home. Things like uh, digging tunnels that are only tall enough for kobolds and forcing human players to, like, crawl on their hands and knees. Uh, setting traps that, you know, would be triggered in those areas, dumping boiling oil into them, arrow slits, uh, like, poisoned food. Essentially, Viet Cong kobolds. Where they don't have superior magic or superior weapons or even, um, or any sort of, like, superior thing, but they use traps and they force the players to engage in fights that are just entirely one-sided because they pick and choose their battles. Um, if the humans ever start... Yeah, so Tucker's Kobolds is what this is called, and it is something I haven't really used because it's not fun for the players. Um, to be faced with an enemy that just kind of avoids most of your attacks and abilities by virtue of planning ahead. It seems very difficult to do as a player since the DM, they're going to have all that time to think of ways to screw with you. And as a player, you really don't, which I guess that's the essence of guerrilla warfare right there. Yes. But as far as a gameplay mechanic, uh, not the greatest. It is, I think, an interesting concept in that it provides the kobolds more agency. They are, you know, defending their homes from invading humans or whatever. So why wouldn't they plan ahead? Why wouldn't they have traps full of poisonous animals? Why wouldn't they dig tunnels where the humans have to, like, duck down and come through one at a time and can be picked off easily? It sounds much more like a plot point as opposed to, like, an actual mechanic of this is how we're going to run this encounter is you guys have to deal with these guerrilla fighters more of this is the situation that we're in and then kind of spinning off other encounters from that. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, in the depiction, this was in, I believe, second edition, first or second edition Dungeons and Dragons. It was considered by the people playing in this like mega dungeon that the guy had the most difficult area of the dungeon. Not the lower levels where you would fight undead and liches and stuff. Or the mid-levels with big monsters. But the first couple of levels that was the kobolds that they would def just try to like flee through, flee past. Because they didn't want to get bogged down fighting the, you know, little dragon Viet Cong. Too bad. <laughs> You're in it now. Yeah. 
You're in the shit. Welcome to the yeah. So uh, so I enjoy those con- that concept of hit and run kobolds, kobolds that you know attempt to extinguish light sources so that they can use their own dark vision. Um, <laughs> poison, just everywhere. Uh, having a chest full of like poisonous centipedes. So that ah, if you, oh, it's treasure. Nope, it's poisonous centipedes. Um, spreading out their attacks so that they're not all activating at the same initiative, just so that they can, you know, they're taking That's advantage mean. of openings and stuff. They, Kobolds also, you know, in terms of treasure, tend to have underground stuff. They have jewels and gold stuff. Um, they use nuggets of raw material rather than making their own coins for the most part. And they craft stuff, but they don't do a whole lot of metalworking. Um, and, you know, they try to... Most of their treasure tends to be portable because the kobolds are, a lot of times, ready to flee their encampment if too much enemy, too many enemies come towards them. Run away! Some kobolds tribes also train giant weasels as mounts. Yes. Yes, I want giant weasels. Yes. Uh, they don't like bears, because bears like to live in caves. And I'm guessing not a lot of uh, kobolds taking proficiency in bear lore. No, I don't believe they take proficiency in bear lore. They definitely are experts in weasel lore, though. And weasel <laughs> law. And weaseling like out weasel of things, law. which is what separates us from the animals. Except the weasel. Um, you know... Because they're good at digging tunnels and mining, their uh, lairs tend to be warrens of complicated tunnel systems in large caves. And a lot of them, like I said, are designed for kobolds to move through and not humans to move through, so you're going to have to crouch. My knees. And lots of traps. They're good at traps. As somebody who has to spend a lot of time crawling through enclosed spaces... Yeah, that's a that's a pain. I wouldn't want to do that wearing armor and carrying a full pack of adventuring gear. And being worried that you'll step on something and a bunch of centipedes will come out and bite you, or, you know, I it'll mean, be rigged to collapse, or stuff like that. Centipedes and other things coming out to bite, that's, that's still a thing that happens. Uh, yeah. yeah. Not, not so much magical traps, though. Yes. Well, a lot of the traps aren't magical, per se. Kobolds don't get a lot of the super powerful magic that you might see in, say, a Beholder's Lair. Um, but they'll have things like deadfalls and rockfalls and, like, crudely disguised pits. Or, um... Yeah. Spikes. They do like their spikes. Um, They're jerks, but I kind of got to give it to them since i mean they're tiny what else are they gonna do yeah that's that's what they can do um the the volo's guide to monsters has a list of examples of common kobold traps uh barrels are small pots of oil bear traps that fall on people's heads bells to announce intruders mine elevators rigged to fall caltrops <laughs> oh buried in shallow mud not um, good. 
Collapsing ceilings, crates of centipede, falling blocks, moats full of pitch or oil, which they can ignite. Ah. Uh, nets attached to ropes that can pull people up vertical shafts. Ow. Um, pipe shafts that dump boiling water. Pits with disease-covered spikes. Pots of green slime. Uh, rolling boulders. Small-sized bridges and ladders rigged to break if there's too much weight on them. Snares. Trip wires, either connected to traps or just for tripping people. And volleys of darts or needles. Um, yeah, that's all very unpleasant. Yes. No, thank you. So, uh, kobolds, if they want to, will try to mess with you. We'll, we'll try to take you out via traps rather than actively fighting because they know they're not good at fighting. I mean, at least they're playing to their strength. Gotta give them that. Yeah. So, as I mentioned earlier, kobolds in JRPGs and other Japanese and Korean and Chinese at this point as well, uh, media and works tend to be depicted as dog people. And there's a reason for this. Uh, the kobolds were, obviously they were a Germanic thing rather than a, Europe, rather than a like, Asiatic thing. And they came to Japan and those countries from first edition Dungeons and Dragons. And the depictions in Dungeons and Dragons describe them as being dog-faced. And the picture in the monster manual looks kind of dog-like. It has ears, it has sort of a snout, um, and it's black and white art. So, yeah. And when you combine all that with some sort of ambiguous translation, might be the best way to put it, uh... Japan ended up with designs that looked much more like dog people in their own media than like dragon folk. And because a lot of their stuff was built off that and they popularized it from that, uh, that became what the understanding of what a kobold looks like was to them. Um, and later editions were kind of ignored because they weren't as popular in Japan as they were in the US and Europe. Um, and so they're Kobolds in Japan are dog folk. The exact variety of them kind of is different. Uh, they tend to be dog folk and tend to be less trap heavy, I think. But other than that, they're pretty much the same. They're just like low level, maybe not as evil as goblins, but still work for the bad guys most of the time. Meat, uh, meat shields. Yeah, not all the time, but most of the time they're just kind of smaller and weaker and, uh, yeah. Dogs. Uh, this, of course, lets us get into some, I guess, talk about some famous kobolds, of which there's a few. Uh, I believe Meepo shows up in one of the early... Third edition uh, adventures, the um, I forget what it's called. Uh, I ran part of it. Uh, um, Sunless Citadel. Sunless Citadel. Yes, Meepo the Kobold shows up there where the he like the players run into him and he is one of the first encounters in that game where it's a monster that's not there to fight you but instead to talk. Um. And he wants the player's help in doing stuff. And uh, so he can kind of get adopted by the party. And in fact, does get adopted by a lot of parties that run through that module. 
Um, and he also kind of broke into the nature of this is what third edition kobolds are and provided a lot of people with that concept. Uh, there are also goblins in that module, so players get on the side of the kobolds against the goblins pretty easily. Yeah. Because the kobolds talk to you first and the goblins just try <laughs> to stab you. We got here first, man. Yes. Um, also in third edition, there is the legendary kobold Pun Pun. Which was the result of a 3.5 thought experiment on creating the most powerful possible character. Oh boy. I'm not going to go into the details of how it works. You can look those up on your own if you Google Pun Pun the Kobold. But essentially, by about 6th level, through a combination of various feats and skills and um, inherent nature of the Kobold's draconic heritage, you become a deity. Yay! Um, it's utterly ridiculous, and no dungeon master would ever let it happen. But rules as written, that's what you do. <laughs> it, it it's oftentimes used to point out just how broken the splat books and constant character creation changes of the third edition and three point five could be. Um, but part yeah. of me still misses third edition. Then play Pathfinder. That's true. Because Pathfinder and Pathfinder 2E... Pathfinder 1E is just extended 3rd edition, and Pathfinder 2E is extended 3rd edition with all the best parts of 5th edition rolled into it. Hooray! And there have been a lot of people switching to Pathfinder due to Wizards of the Coast and their dumb ideas. So uh, now is probably a great time to start. Uh, no. I had originally wanted to run Pathfinder as a game, but couldn't get it together, and it just kind of fizzled out. So I do have some of the OG Pathfinder books, but nothing's happening with that. I am not going to be switching to Pathfinder, um, although I do think that once my Eberron games finish up, I might run a Starfinder game. Woo! We shall see. I have some... Gonna find some stars. I have some ideas for that, and we'll talk about those in a later episode, I think. Because I want to do an episode on Starfinder at some point. Um, Kobolds, because they're kind of from Dungeons and Dragons, more so than they are from other things, they don't really show up in a whole lot of, like, media. There's not a lot of comics or TV shows or uh, movies with Kobolds in it. I mean... Maybe we'll get lucky and the new Dungeons and Dragons movie will actually be about kobolds the whole time. But based on the trailer, I don't think so. Um, I think we may see a kobold in like the background of a scene, though. I, I really hope that happens. That would be pretty cool. Um, but there is one other game that includes a kobold that isn't like Pathfinder or some other just straight knockoff of... And eh, knockoff's not the right term. Straight alternate to Dungeons and Dragons, and that's Lancer, of all things. Uh, I've mentioned Lancer before a couple of times. It is a sci-fi mech game, and one of the types of mechs in it is called the Kobold. It is a repurposed mining mech that has been uh, heavily altered for combat use and is small and good at hiding and good at altering the terrain to make traps. It's, yeah, that um, tracks. Yeah, it, it, it fits the kobold quite well. Uh, one of the other 
the mechs uh, in the sort of from this designer or from this group of mech designs are all named after D&D monsters. Um, the, the kobold is one, the goblin, the manticore, the basilisk, basilisk or gorgon? I think it might be gorgon. Uh, the lich, the balor, you know, they're, they're all based off of, D they're all named after D&D monsters. So having a kobold is good. They don't have a beholder though. I guess that's a design space to get deal with. Maybe it's uh too too close to the D and D intellectual property for their taste. Oh, that is true. I think beholders are D and D intellectual property. Um, are, are maybe not anymore. Um, because the SRD mentions beholders and it was put into <laughs> Creative Commons. So the question of oh wait yes I think that's true because I remember seeing a meme about that where they're like. I think we forgot something, and then it's, uh, oh, it was from Two and a Half Men, and he's like, I think I forgot something. Oh, if it forgot it, it must not be important, and it's the kid standing out in the rain, and it just says Beholders on it. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the question is, they just mention Beholders, they don't give the stat block or any of the details about them, so they may or may not still be intellectual property of Wizards of the Coast. It's a I question. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Lawsuits incoming. It's a question I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't test it. Um, you can always have your evil eyes doing the same thing and being the same thing. Um, but yeah, a beholder may or may not be a viable option. Um, and actually one of the kind of funny things is the names in Lancer of that are based off D&D monsters are not the names given by the, like, organization that builds these mechs. They are... <sighs> They're effectively like the NATO reporting names, where it's names that are come up with by the intelligence agencies that, like, see these mechs being used. So, it's not that the people making them are nerds, it's the people catalog cataloging them <laughs> and trying to give names to them are nerds. Which is a nice distinction and a nice little in-universe uh, thing to think about. And kind of a world-building thing to think about as well, if you happen to be working on a setting. Who gives these things their name? So, kobolds as player characters. In d, &D I haven't run across that yet. You can play as a kobold. There are rules for it. Uh, again, Volos has the rules for it, and I think it can also be found in one or two other things. Um, kobolds are just pretty weak in general. Um, uh, new versions might change that, but kobolds are small. They don't have a lot of stuff going for them. They got some cool little abilities, but they're very similar to like playing as a goblin. I once played as a kobold gunslinger in a Pathfinder game uh, that was set in Planescape. Fun. Uh, yes. Clint was quite fun. Um, he was a kobold gunslinger from a world that was essentially in the Napoleonic Wars. Oh, wait, I um, remember this story now. Yep. Yeah, he was great. I, I did art for him. He's cool. Uh, a little kobold with a pair of pist with a brace of pistols that ran around shooting stuff and hopping up on tables and being like, ha ha! 
Um, I even have a miniature for him. Huzzah! Uh, I think that's the only Kabold that I've ever played as a character. Um, I was in a game where some people were playing Kabolds in 3.5. Uh, one of them was playing as a sorcerer. One of them was playing as a... I forget what exactly, but they they were acting as the other kobolds butler. Um, <laughs> yes. Kobolds are popular in the furry community. Um, Didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, think they're Dungeons and Dragons monsters that have lizardy traits... So, and can be depicted as cute pretty easily, so people do it. Um, I guess it's the, it's not the furry community, it's the, um, because they don't oh, have other fur. Kin. No, it's the scaly community, because they have scales. Huh. That's, but, that's a new one for me. Yeah, the people who like lizard-related uh, things uh, have a different name for themselves, for the group. Whatever floats your boat. Yes, exactly. That is the Knoll Country official position. Whatever floats your boat. Unless you're an asshole. That's the only thing that should not uh, give your ship buoyancy. Yes, do not have your boat floated by assholes. Do not float <laughs> on a sea of ass. <laughs> that That's the official position of this podcast. Yep. Um, oh, I cannot recommend floating your boat on a sea of mercury, although it would be quite easy. It's just also incredibly toxic. Could be fun. I mean... What about a sea of propane, like on Titan? That's what I want to see. Uh, I feel like that would be dangerous, you know, if something sparks off. I really feel like NASA needs to bring back their idea for their little uh, boat lander for Titan to sail the seas of propane, and they need to call it the Hank Hill. There is no other acceptable name for that probe. Um, I mean, it, if it's on Titan, then you could call it the Prometheus because he was on Titan. <sighs> There's a lot Play. of good Greek mythology names for that stuff, man. Uh, personally, I want them to send a probe to Europa just to see what's there because that, that ocean on Europa is real interesting shit. Yeah. The ocean under the ice. Um, but we're kind of drifting off the topic of kobolds, unless you have kobolds in space, in which case, um, sure, why space not? Space kobolds could be interesting. Um, there's some fun artwork out there of kobolds in, like, modern item, in, like, modern fantasy, which I, I don't know why people made them, but it's just fun art. Um, I mean, why not? Everything else is in modern fantasy. I suspect it might be due to the furry community liking them. Um... It's good-looking good art, though, so whatever. Um, I may or may not have an idea for a fantasy 1920s, 30s-esque, like, noir cr gang crime setting <laughs> that I'm fleshing out. Beakable um, do crime. Thank you for a tagline. I'm going to write that down right now. <laughs> All right, that's uh, that's in there. Um, yeah, kobolds. I think they're interesting. I think that they are a slightly 
They're slightly less common than goblins, and because of that, I think slightly more fun and slightly more complicated uh, in terms of, like, morality and ideals. And that's why I prefer having players run into them not as monsters or not as absolute antagonists, but as NPCs rather than direct combat. Ed, your thoughts on Kabolds? Uh, don't have a whole lot of thoughts on them. Uh, just remember that they were really annoying in that first act of Baldur's Gate, especially the commandos that had the flaming arrows. That was a pain. <laughs> That's your Tucker's Kabolds moment. Yep. Yeah. That's pretty much about it. I would like I'm to see... I'm neutral on Kabolds, but uh, my train of thought just derailed. <laughs> uh, Kabolds also show up in the Warcraft games where they're kind of more rat-like and have candles. This and I believe have a reoccurring voice line of don't take candle. No, no take candle. No take candle. Yes. Um... Yeah, uh, oh, and of course there's the game, can't believe I forgot about it, Kabolds Ate My Baby. Oh no! Which is a independent RPG published by, uh, Ninth Level Games, uh, where you play as Kabolds and are tasked with doing a shenanigans, essentially. Um, I have it. I was going to say, if it was eating children, then don't let uh, QAnon hear about that one. Yeah, I mean, it, you are trying to steal and eat babies. Um, or maybe a chicken. Uh, the, the part of the point of it is that you get killed quite quickly. Because kobolds are um, bad squishy. at everything. And squishy. Uh, and you have to... Shout all hail King Torg, who is the king of the Kabold tribe. Uh, quite a lot. It's uh, it's humorous. It has it's fairly boisterous. I have a copy. I have read it. It. My biggest complaint is that the game itself is too complicated for how much of a silly beer and pretzels thing it's supposed to be. Um. So this is like fancy beer and pretzels. This is like the beer and pretzels where you go to a gastropub and pay $60 for something that they call a pretzel and something that they call beer. It's uh, it's, it's convention either. gaming. Mm. It, it's 100% convention gaming. That's where the game was started. Um, it At the uh, Origins game convention was kind of where it was first... Um, first started someday i'll go to another game convention yeah someday but yeah kobolds ain't my baby is a game exclusively about kobolds and uh a lot of getting killed um i'm not sure i can recommend it i i like the con i like it conceptually your mileage may vary i like it conceptually but the rules for it are not not as... They're too complicated for something that's supposed to get you killed instantly. I do like that it plays off the Beer X engine, uh, because the four stats are Brawn, Ego, Extraneous, and Reflexes. 
<laughs> I like extraneous. That's a good stat. It, it's for everything that's not the others. Fair enough. Um, it, it it's if you're not, it's all your stats that aren't strength, intelligence, and dexterity. Everything else is extraneous. And all the other skills related are presumably extraneous to kobolds. Um, but that's kobolds. Woo! So we have a segment on this podcast called Board Game Corner. And today we are talking about Captain Sonar. Bing! Oh boy. Bing! Uh, Captain Sonar, originally published in 2016. I believe it's in its second edition now. I think um, so. It is a team-based submarine combat game with uh, hidden movement and... Um, like, hidden everything. Yeah, essentially hidden everything. The core concept is that you have two teams uh, up to, I think, 4v4 but it can be played with about 2v2. Um, I think 4 versus 4 is like the recommended and like optimal player setup I think that I've seen recommended. It very much is. I have played it and 4v4 was incredibly fun and it, it would be much more difficult in a 2v2 because you would each have to control a lot of different parts. Um, each team has a captain, a chief mate a radio operator and an engineer and each of them has a different role uh the captain is responsible for moving the submarine and announcing certain details uh the radio operator is effectively managing the sonar and listening to the orders the opposing captain is doing and trying to figure out where on the map their submarine is um the chief mate is like handles the weapon systems and some of the other components of that are going on and the engineer's job is basically to keep the submarine working by spreading out stress across various systems and if your stress gets too high the submarine has to surface and then you can wipe it all out but before you but when you surface you have to tell the other team where you are and then you have to do a little drawing exercise like, the whole team has to do a little drawing exercise in order to, like, and then show the other team before you can submerge again. It's, um... It's very complicated and involves a lot of shouting back and forth as everyone on both teams tries to keep track of what they're doing and what the other team is doing at any given time. All and the then, better reason to be incredibly drunk. I It would be incredibly hard to play this while drinking. Like, you, someone would make a mistake, and then the whole thing would collapse. Um, but the thing is, it, it all goes like this, where both teams are doing everything simultaneously, up until the point that one person thinks they have a lock on the other, and fires a torpedo, at which point everybody stops, and you, like, see if the torpedo actually hits anything. And then, if it misses, everybody goes back to doing what they were doing. Um, but you kind of have to announce where you're shooting the torpedo from and where it's shooting to. So now the other team knows where you are. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting and tricky and a lot of fun. Um, 
I like the mechanics. I like the tools of like using dry erase markers and like grids and stuff to try and track down how this all works. Um, but like you said, it is a game that really is at its best when it's 4v4. So finding seven other people willing to like learn the rules and then sit down and shout at each other for the half tough. hour, 45 minutes that it takes to play one of these games can be difficult. Um, it's, it's not a, quite a party game because it has too many rules and it's hard to find an eight-player opportunity to play it. But you do need a literal party of people to play it. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's... Um, I like it. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's got some really cool mechanics. I think perhaps a better version of it would simplify some of them and make it possible to play with fewer people. Um, it has tools to make it more complicated, like multiple maps that you could be playing on. I have never used any of the more complicated ones because, holy shit, getting enough people to play the base ones is hard enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, Captain Sonar would recommend. Yeah. And that's been our show. As always, thank Yay. you for listening. You can like, subscribe, follow along, um, send carrier pigeons, uh, follow us on social media if you want. I haven't posted much on our Instagram, but I should. Uh, argue with us on Twitter or don't or, you know, do whatever. Do what you feel like. Uh, you should join a union or and always support your local game store. Um, you should do the things Ed's about to tell you to do. You can follow me on Instagram at Animadness. Uh, I've been rarely posting for reasons above and posting kind of an explanation as to why I'm not posting there yesterday. So read that and do with that as you will. Uh, become ungovernable. Uh, no gods, no masters. ACAP. Uh, support your local queer charities. That's always a good thing to do. Yes. Uh, and even though we're talking about kabolds, I'm still going to say go Knowles. Go kabolds. Go Knowles.